0: Hey everyone, and welcome to the first podcast for The Open System. My name is Landon Mascareñas, and I am the co-founder and lead writer for The Open System, a blog that helps to bridge boundaries and connect parents and families into the education system. Um, If you're listening to this now, you probably know already a little bit about me, and we've come to each other in professional circles. Um, But I thought I would spend a couple minutes talking about um, what we're trying to do with this blog um, why I believe it's important to lift up these voices and um, why I think this work is so critical. Um, about uh, For about the last three years, up until last July, I worked at Denver Public Schools and had a chance to work with some pretty incredible family and community engagement practitioners while I was there. you know, I really came to Denver Public Schools after teaching on the reservation in the Navajo Nation, um, taught first grade in a little town called Church Rock, um, which completely inspired me and altered the trajectory of my life And in my subsequent career, I've worked um, kind of on family and community engagement issues as one of the main threads uh, that I've tried to braid through, whether it was uh, charter school authorization work, charter school development work, um, system improvement work, regular district turnaround work, um, managing a nonprofit. I've really come to believe that um, family and community engagement is a missing component in our larger theory of action around education and uh, solving our nation's challenges, Um, and I've even come to really see it as a much larger question, and um, when I left Denver Public Schools and started at A-Plus Colorado, uh, Van Schools, uh, my manager and mentor here at A-Plus, said that I should start my own blog, uh, build my own set of work, and start to begin to explore some of the themes that I wanted and wanted to explore. So that was the genesis behind the Open System blog, and uh, up to this point, I've published a bunch of articles, hosted other people um, publishing articles, and I always mention that we're very open to other folks uh, publishing on the site. Um, the open system idea is really about: um, Are we going to build the education system that we need to build? Which, in my view, and in the view of many family engagement and practitioners of all, of all uh, outside of the family engagement space, is one that is um, open, that brings in the voices of parents and families, the voices of community members to co-create and co-develop processes um, all over. Um, all over that system, whether it's in the classroom or the school or at the um, system level overall. And I even have kind of started to even think a little bit about what does it mean to have an open ecosystem in some of this work. And I know that this work has been done, in some ways, been done before. In some ways, it's pulling together uh, lots of different threads and strands um, from across different ideological and research-driven backgrounds to kind of draw them to a point here at this moment around education. The education uh, that, unfortunately, too many of our communities is, not rec- is receiving is not at the level that it needs to be. So this blog and this podcast is really a, um, an intellectual and community space for folks from a variety of diverse backgrounds and beliefs to come together um, engage in conversations about what it means to build an open system Uh, that brings in the voices uh, uh, and perspectives of our families and communities to generate a better education system overall. And this podcast is uh, a new endeavor that I'm starting off this this spring, um, well, I guess this winter. It's January of 2018 right now. And my goal is to pick one person out in the education family engagement space and interview them for about 30, 40 minutes and, uh, you know, I'm a big lover of podcasts. I listen to podcasts every week. I just love hearing the stories, like many of you, of people who are doing great work around the country. And I have had the the unbelievable, uh, amazing, fortunate luck to meet some of these amazing people who are doing just some of the most incredible work around the country that I've had a chance to, to, to meet. And so I'm hoping at once a month to... Find one of these folks that I'm already doing work with. Sit them down for a, um, a, a conversation about their life, their role, their work, and and why they are involved in this in this amazing opportunity that we believe to, that, that and we may have disagreements along that path about what we think is important to build an open system for parents and families. But this first podcast um, is a really hosts a really incredible woman who I've had the fortunate pleasure of working with the past year and a half. Um uh, I I had the I was we were both very lucky to receive uh Flamboyant Foundation National Fellowships. Uh for many of you know the Flamboyant Foundation is the nation's leading family engagement foundation. Does a lot of really amazing work focused in Puerto Rico and DC. DC is really the anchor for its family engagement work. I've had the luxury of and pleasure of working with many amazing people at the Flamboyant Foundation for the past uh I guess now eighteen months. Um as I was a member of a Colorado delegation focused on what it would mean to spread high-impact family engagement practices and open system practices, as I think about them, uh, across the state of Colorado. So there was a, f- a few other uh, states and cities recognized there, and um, including Nashville, Kansas City, Baltimore, and Lawrence, Massachusetts, or Massachusetts kind of overall. And Natalie Lewis, who we'll be speaking with today is an incredible person. Right away when I met Natalie, I just knew this was someone I wanted to get to know. And she said something on the very first day that has really stuck with me that really resonated, which is that her kind of purpose in life, the thing that she enjoys the most is being around really um, smart and thoughtful people and talking about the big issues that matter. And so when I had the opportunity to interview her for my first podcast when we were at our kind of last fellowship convening uh, last week in washington dc um i jumped at the opportunity to interview natalie and so um you'll kind of i'm going to walk through the interview with natalie here and you get a chance to hear her and her voice she's a current school board member um, of the kansas city school board um works on a variety of really exciting projects uh, is a powerhouse in her own right so uh, with no further ado natalie lewis Okay, Natalie, you have the uh, distinction of being the only school board member on our flamboyant uh, cohort. Tell me a little bit about why you decided to run for school board and why you think it's important for parents and families. When
1: When I ran for school board, it was really about, it was in a time in Kansas City where our board had either contributed to the chaos and the revolving door that was happening with our superintendent um, and, and it, it contributed to some good that was being done also but I realized it was such a critical role I was not planning on playing that role mm-hmm. because I didn't want to be bothered with politics I yeah. wanted to still impact uh, education and be a thought partner but not in the political realm and we ended up uh, this last race April of 2017 2017 16, Mm -hmm. 16, Uh, we ended up with three of the four seats with no candidates running. Oh, wow. So
0: they were open.
1: And they were open. Yeah. And it hurt my heart. It was like, what does that say about our commitment to our students? What does it say about our commitment to those that are already uh, on the front lines doing the work that we can't get a decent board? Mm -hmm. And we had a new superintendent coming in, so... It was too critical a time in our school system to not have a quality board. So I decided to run, and I had to actually move out of my home into the subdistrict that I wanted to run. So I live in an apartment now oh, yeah. in order to be on school board. But it's just a critical piece. I mean, I felt that even if there were agendas, agendas um, contrary to what mm-hmm. was best for kids, that they need to at least meet resistance. Yeah. And very intelligent resistance Mm -hmm. that could, um, you know, my campaign slogan was children are the agenda. That's my only agenda. I love that. I don't have political aspirations. I mean, my only agenda is that everything that comes to me as a board member uh, be filtered from the perspective of what's best for children. And I've been in the business realm. I've been in nonprofit. I've been in the classroom. Uh, I was a foster mother, so I mm-hmm. just brought so many different perspectives yeah. to uh, the conversation and to the decisions.
0: So, what did your family and friends think about <laughs> running for school board? Were they surprised? Because I wouldn't. If I knew you, I probably wouldn't be surprised.
1: Uh, you know, it's funny. They they weren't surprised. I had run one time before as a oh, write-in, okay. but they had people on the ballot. But this time, they weren't surprised. Actually, it was encouraged by. Um, a former uh, boss. I mean, they. It was brought to me, oh, yeah. and then the weekend before, I decided I was sitting across at an event, an education event, and a stranger that I just met said, mm-hmm. "When are you?" They brought up me running for school board, and I just looked at him like, "Huh?" <laughs> I didn't tell anybody. Um, Word spread. So, yeah. So it, it. It. They weren't surprised, and they were very supportive. I mean, that's the amazing part. I mean, a a political uh, racing campaign that takes a lot of yeah. time and energy. And I was just fascinated at the support.
0: So kind of, I want to pivot now to thinking about opening up systems for parents and families, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. clearly a passion of yours. Cause you're in the mm-hmm. Flamboyant Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Board, mm-hmm. I've seen that passion in place. Mm-hmm. Um, Has that always been a passion for you in terms of the work you've done, working with parents and communities and families? Or is this something that as you've gotten to be involved in education, you're like, man, we got to work on this.
1: No, it's it's always been uh, as far as I probably didn't label it what I label it now. I probably didn't label it community engagement. I didn't label it family engagement. Uh Uh, I always just thought about from a perspective of what, is best for kids. I knew what I had. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really started into this just thinking about caring about education. Mm-hmm. Are children learning or not? Yeah. And if they're not learning, how do we make sure they're learning? Mm-hmm. I went into education as a career number three and it was to teach. So I just thought get a good teacher. I can be a good teacher. Yeah. And that'll be my contribution. Uh, But because my background is in chemical engineering, Mm -hmm. I also look at everything from a systemic standpoint. Mm -hmm. I look at systems. Um, And as I taught and when I was in classroom for five years, and you start to see all the different variables and pieces and and services and just what shows up in our classrooms every day. Uh, So that piece really um, made me realize it is parent engagement. It is, you see the parents that aren't treated fairly, you see the parents that are treated fairly, but the kids are still not learning. Um, So that piece made me um, more and more and more uh, look at a holistic approach as far as what it will take to have our kids be able to thrive and do what they need to do.
0: Uh, I really can connect with that. I, I became connected to Family Engagement as a teacher myself. Yes. And I saw how the school struggled. To work with parents and families, yes, and had all these mindsets and uh, challenges around what parents wanted or how they wanted to be involved, Mm -hmm. and I found those to be challenged every single day. Yes, my parents wanted to be involved; they Mm -hmm. wanted the best for their kids, Mm -hmm. and they just didn't often know how to work with the school to get that Mm -hmm. done. Mm -hmm. As you've been a school board member, what do you think about? Like, is it hard to? shift the system to want to work with parents and families do people as a lot of I I've, I've seen a lot of politicians talk about families and talk about communities but Um, Where do you feel like the barriers are to getting people to be like really focused on parents and families?
1: Well, I I think we have a lot of conversations and we say a lot of the same words, but we don't have the same meaning or intention. Or we don't mean it for everybody. Yeah. Um, Or we mean it only to the extent that we can imagine it or that we think it's doable or possible. So... you know, the challenge, I feel like being on the school board, I sometimes I have a different kind of impact, but it's sometimes very limited mm-hmm. and it ties my hand and it frustrates me uh, because I have to stay in a governance. Um, but yet at the same time, I have a pretty a voice. So if I do say something, it yeah. can it will be heard and reacted to. Oh, yeah. So uh, so I um I don't. I started shying away from that at first, but then it's my responsibility. So I think it. I I always think because I also have an MBA and a marketing background. So yeah. I talk about marketing communication. I think about how do you move a whole population to want your product or to have a certain common thought. I mean that's all marketing is. Yeah. Uh, I always think about the Got Milk campaign. Mm-hmm. I, I so I try to think about how can we. I think we maybe sometimes overuse certain terms to the point where we, we don't realize we're just talking about connecting. Yeah. That's all we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, and I love the analogy. You know, I, I sometimes wonder even now finishing up the work with Flamboyant, um, when did this become so difficult? Yeah. I I, 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 I think about the analogy. It will be unimaginable if I had a four year old child, no matter what my social economic background, no matter what I had going on in life, if I had a four year old that needed to go to the hospital or needed to go to the doctor, I would never drop that child off at the front door of that hospital, let him go, him, she, he, he or her, he, let them go in by themselves, yeah. let that hospital staff yeah, or pick whatever them, and then pick them up at the end. I yeah. would never do that and, and not, and then if I did it, Mm-hmm. I certainly wouldn't let the four-year-old come back out and I not have a conversation say, okay, what was wrong with them? What do I need to do? How can I help? Did you do what you need wow. to do? But we do that with education all day, every day.
0: That is such a powerful analogy. Why do you think we do that in education? What's gone, What's going on here?
1: Well, and, and it may be a couple of things. It used to be, depending on if the schools did what we were supposed to do, um, a, a caring parent can safely drop their child off, assume they're going to learn what they need to do, mm-hmm. and pick them up. And if the child's not crying, if the child is happy, if the teacher's not coming, then everything must be okay. Yeah. Um, so I think, and then also, yeah, it's 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 complex on so many le- levels because. Um, we, we just had a trust in mm-hmm. a blind trust in a school system um, and we kind of maintained that mm-hmm. and assume that they were doing what was best yeah. um, And then I think sometimes um, parents don't even realize you know if a child is ill and I and I call children invisible casualties mm-hmm. in our education system I would like to think that, If we had children going into a a hospital, Mm -hmm. and they were coming out, and the equivalent of not being able to read or not learning is them getting sicker and sicker and sicker. Yeah,
0: yeah, every time they went. Every time
1: they went. Yeah. And and they stay, and they come back out, and they stay. So a year later, they're even sicker. Now they're in critical condition. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, some of them we've lost. Mm -hmm. We would see bodies. We would see... Yeah. Gurneys with white sheets over them. We would we see them, and if we saw that much rolling out of yeah. door, that same school, that same yeah. hospital, that same door, hopefully we will react and we would be outraged and we will correct it and we would we would stop kids from. Hopefully, we'd say that's not a hospital you should go. Right, to. right, yeah. right. But in education, it's very easy for that child to come out at the end of that year, not being being damaged, mm-hmm. the confidence level and all that confidence level, come out and we not know. Yeah. A gray card, a gray can be inflated. I mean, we don't even have. We have some parents that don't even want their kids retained when kid when the school does say this child isn't ready. Yeah. They fight that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you have a. I think it, your question was why is it that we would even get to that point where we would drop a kid off or we wouldn't react? Um, I think sometimes it's invisible. Yeah. Uh, and and we're freed wow. up to um, keep going. There's no. Yeah.
0: So what you know? I imagine as a board member, you have a lot of priorities on your plate. A lot of <laughs> things. Is it even? A, is it a part time role? a Full time role?
1: It's a. <laughs>
0: <Is> it <per laughs> it's,
1: a it's a full time, part time, free <laughs> yeah. volunteer. You don't get paid. That's you real civic leadership,
0: Natalie. That yeah. is.
1: It's it's you know people when they especially with Kansas City because we had it was I always jokingly say it was almost like the. Well, it wasn't as bad as House of Cards, but it was just it like was people close. were like, what are you thinking? Why do you want to do this? You know, uh, and then when you when I first got elected, they were like waiting. Like the season was about to come on. Are you getting along? What's going on with the board? I mean, we would have some antics going on, board meetings shut, and just in the news, all that stuff. But Kansas City is, I think, and it may be the second round, because the board before me, I thought – was a decent board and started to see movement. Um, Our board, it's a privilege to work with these other eight individuals. That takes a lot of burden off a a already difficult job uh, when you respect even the people that you disagree with. Mm -hmm. You respect that they're gonna stretch your thinking and make you kind of think, well, am I mad enough? Am I too far on this side? So that helps yeah. tremendously. The, bur- the, the heavy part about being on a board is having the public is supposed to have access mm-hmm. to you. Um, and and you're you're
0: expected to be able to show up at events. Absolutely. Absolutely. And
1: And listen a lot. You have to listen a lot and what you're supposed to. And it's hard for me because of my, I'm an engineer. It's hard for me to listen and not offer solutions. Mm. Um, but I have to listen a lot and I can't speak on certain things because Mm -hmm. I say what needs to be done. I can't always defend and say how or if, how it's Mm -hmm. being done. Um, so that that becomes a juggling act and I am kind of that middle of the road person mm-hmm. where I can have some opinions on something but I'm willing to be at the table with some folks that you strongly disagree or yeah. some I can be at the table with this uh entity that strongly opposes this other mm-hmm. entity but yet all of them are showing up supposedly on behalf of our kids But I want to hear all those different perspectives. You
0: find yourself in that bridging leadership role.
1: Well, yeah, because I need that to influence my decision. I don't Mm -hmm. show up normally with a stance or a stake in the ground about certain things. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen. I'm going to process it. Now, I may still say, well, I disagree, but I will be able to tell you why and I will be able to relate it back. But it it becomes kind of heavy sometimes because you get a lot of... Uh, pressure on you not to it's almost like you're on the playground yeah. don't speak to them don't talk to them why are oh. you playing with them I saw you talking to them that, that kind of adult stuff yeah. is exhausting
0: Yeah.
1: it's exhausting
0: well I and it's exhausting and it clearly doesn't help our democracy or help our discussion about what's important for yes. kids ever yes and people that you think you can build alliances with people tell you not to do it yes because they think well if you start talking to them then they're going to yes. think about this yes of you. yes I totally appreciate that part of your leadership. I want to go back a little ways. You know, you have mentioned being an engineer. Tell me about going to MIT. <laughs> Tell me about why
1: you went, why did you pick MIT? When did you do at MIT? Oh my goodness. <laughs> why did you MIT?
0: Tell me about MIT.
1: MIT. I, um... I started on the road toward engineering. I went to a high school for engineering professions mm-hmm. in Houston oh, because okay. I was bored. I was that student that was bored. I like math and science. Okay, I'll go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know a lot about from an application standpoint what engineers did, but I just knew I was bored. Yeah. Um, and that's because I was in that school, and I honestly believe it's only because of that school, and that's where it worked. Edu- mm-hmm. Public education worked in Houston. Um I was exposed to MIT, and uh, five of us that year got accepted. That's unheard of. Wow. That is unheard of. Uh, so I went to MIT because they accepted me. Mm-hmm. Um, my dad had kind of mentioned it, but I wasn't a student that was easily pushed or influenced yeah. in any direction or the other. MIT for me was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done, but even that serves me because not only do I look at, when I look at the education system and I look at the burden of educating those children that are extremely behind, I look at the burden of educating every mind that shows up in that door at a level that it deserves. Yeah. So we need to be able to prepare that students that's in our public schools to attend to MIT. We need to be able to yeah. prepare those students. We have to. We have to. Um, so it, it just helps me to know even what those students need Um but it was fun we had fun yeah. now when I visited my friends at University of Texas they're having more fun. that was a different yeah. kind of fun that was bigger <laughs> fun that was like oh wow y'all party on Thursday nights yeah. I was like that's Texas yeah, yeah, fun. yeah 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 uh, but it was it was an incredible was experience was it
0: pretty wild to travel that far across the country for school was it something your family was were they, were they scared about it at all? Uh, I it was probably
1: you? more scared I was very I'm from Houston so mm-hmm. I am very that child that hung very close to You're a Houston home, yeah. yes, and I never wanted to go. My sister always wanted to go. Mm-hmm. I didn't ever, even yeah. just out and about yeah. and to Cousin's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was going to go to Rice University because um, I thought Rice that University. that was the yeah. best education I could yeah. get. And stay close to home. Mm-hmm. Uh, but once you get accepted to MIT, you, you kind of go. You gotta go. And I had already decided that if I didn't like it, if I was miserable, I was mm-hmm. coming home. So I didn't. I was fortunate to have the right parents, the right combination of support, high expectation, but not just pressure. And
0: how long were you in engineering? <laughs> uh,
1: before you find your way to education, uh, I, I uh, by senior year at MIT, I worked at shell refinery for a couple of summers, and I realized, okay, I don't really want to be a chemical engineer. I don't, and nor yeah. did I fully understand everything I could do with chemical uh, engineering. So that's another piece. I. Um, worked for Mobile Chemical for three years, but by then, I'd moved in more consumer products, and I realized that was a very creative side to me, all of that. And then I went back to University of Texas and got my MBA. Uh-huh. So I worked in That's marketing, marketing. Yeah. with Homework and Sprint. So I even worked in corporate oh, wow. for about 10 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then all along, though, even in grad school, even uh, once I started working in engineering, I was always volunteering mm-hmm in education. Yeah. Tutoring some, adopt a school program. I was always doing something. Um, and I knew that my mother taught for 33 years. Oh, wow. So I knew that I, and I always wanted to teach. I used to pretend teach and play mm-hmm. teaching, uh, but I never wanted to make that salary. Uh, but the, by the time I got to my time at the end of Sprint, I didn't really, I just wasn't fulfilled. Mm-hmm. And I knew the call was bigger and bigger and it was time. So I went into a transition uh, Kaufman Teaching Fellows program, oh. and that's how I got into education. And I taught for five years. I taught in a charter and a district school. So I, you got to see both sides. I of got it. to see both sides of sides of it. Um, and then after that, you know, being a master teacher, that's exhausting. And I taught in one of probably the toughest yeah. middle schools. Uh, and I realized, okay, this can't be it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was fortunate enough to discover Kaufman Foundation. And so that whole nonprofit size that's investing at that level yeah. in education solutions mm-hmm. enabled me to stay in education and pack in within Kansas City students. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also, that's where I probably worked most with the importance of how you can leverage parents mm-hmm. and empower parents and understand parents to help move the needle uh, for kids academically.
0: Let's talk about that for a second because one of the things I think is so important about the fellowship we've just been a part of is mm-hmm. about oh, engaging parents, opening up systems for parents and mm-hmm. families to mm-hmm. be partners in, this, in the work. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we talked a little bit about why it's hard. Maybe you don't see it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think um, education improvement folks or people that are committed in um, all areas of Kansas City are they like do they see the power of families? Are they are they
1: there yet? Oh, absolutely. The, the the thing about it is and I and I drew this diagram. I'm always drawing diagrams. They absolutely see it. Sure only you can know just because of the amount of different initiatives popping up talking about parent leadership training. Yeah parent engagement parent group the district has you know all that stuff but they're all siloed everybody's Uh doing different things and that's what frustrates me if anything now that I'm at the tables that I'm at and I get Mm -hmm. that systemic look there's so many siloed individual things going Mm -hmm. on and I don't think we truly understand or have the framework in place to Mm. truly collaborate. Because sometimes collaboration can stall things, you get stuck, and it's easier to just go do your own thing. Uh, But I think to the extent that we get some common um, understanding about what it takes and then who's going to do what part of it, um, and I think we need more parent-facing organizations and, and initiatives with parents that don't show up somewhere. Yeah, that it's not, you know, and and there's actually
0: that's the engagement partnership work at the school. Yes. Yes.
1: I mean, you or you were not calling the parents just when something's wrong.
0: Yes.
1: Uh, Most of the parent liaisons in our building, they're troubleshooting, putting out fire, dealing with homelessness, dealing with, you know, crisis management. That's not family engagement. No. But that's where the bulk of their time goes.
0: And I think that's where a lot of systems don't want to put that time and energy into because that's a lot of mindset resource shift at the school Absolutely. level. Absolutely. It's sometimes, uh, I think, you know, there's a self-interest there. Yes. Hey, if we get 10 parents to a board meeting, that's powerful.
1: And we brag about and it. We and brag we brag about yeah. it
0: and we make it seem like it's the end of these yeah. knees, yeah. knees yeah. versus have we changed 100 teachers to be able to engage yes. parents more effectively.
1: And I have this wild dream in theory. I would love to see what would happen, and how we can if, and, and I say this as a big giant if, and I pray it's criminal if this if carries out. Mm-hmm. But if nothing ever changes in schools, teachers don't get better. Correct, if and if you're in a feeling, if nothing ever changes, I want to know what can we do and say, and work and empower the parents and students to show up to that school differently to educate them, to equip them, with, well, here's what your child should be knowing, here's what, child, here's what this school should be providing you, here's what you... And how do we empower and create that kind of momentum so when they show up, they start to shine light on the injustices. They start to demand, my child has a better teacher. They start to demand that, while wow, that teacher needs to be responsive, wow, I need to make sure. So, and not in a confrontational kind of way, But just in a, uh, it's it's a dual facing piece. Yeah. But we need the teachers to do it, and we need parents to know how to ask for it. Now, granted, I still want to do the work with. I still want to. But I think we miss sometimes because this it's easier to get to the teachers. It's easier to get to the schools. But I think from a community standpoint, and when we do that work effectively to to address biases, to address advocacy, and here's how you advocate. Here's what you. When we do that effectively. I think those same parents and that same effort will serve uh, our desire to improve community, economic development. Yeah. I mean, you just have now an empowered, informed group. So, you know, you have, I just talked about a health council and the, yeah. that they're putting together to influence the health in the community. Mm-hmm. They're talking to those same parents. Yeah. They have to deal with those same biases, right. mindsets. Right. But we keep doing it. In isolation mm-hmm. um, so that would be fun experiment for me just I to, love that idea yeah I think
0: I love the connection you made between uh, engaged activated parents and engaged activated citizens yes that will have spillover effects to yes. the entire community absolutely and we have to figure out a way to to both do that on the parent side and the school side so the schools can generate yes. all that new energy for civic yes nature. I love that yes so tell me about powerhouse <laughs> I love Powerhouse. We, you know, we talked about this last night when you agreed to do the uh, podcast. Yes. And uh, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I respect your voice so much, and you talked about it. And uh, tell me about Powerhouse. Where did that idea come from? And then we'll we'll go from there. You
1: know, Powerhouse is a nickname that has so stuck with me, and. Um, it happened. I had a. Uh, I was part of an uh, incredible network marketing company, mm-hmm. and I remember, you know, I prior to joining, I just I would cringe at network marketing. Don't ask me about it. Don't invite me to me and all that. But I love the product, and I, mm-hmm. I appreciate the 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 model as far as financial uh, wealth. But uh, anyway, I, I thought about well, if I'm going to do this, mm-hmm. then I want a team of serious business owners, serious mind people that yeah. you would be offended. You would be. You wouldn't even want them to know you're doing that. I wanted powerhouses. Yeah, that's who I wanted to attract to my business and have as business partners. So then I said, well, if you're gonna attract them, you have to be one. Yeah. So I one day I just introduced myself as Natalie Powerhouse Lewis, <laughs> and it has it has so stuck. It, that had to have been ten years ago. Uh-huh. Uh But I also think that. Um, When I think about it, I feel like I I am to bring energy. I am a power source. And, you know, I feel like my power is divine. You know, so it's just who I'm created to be and how I show up. And you show up boldly. Uh, But I'm also starting my own uh, consulting firm called Powerhouse Thinking. Oh, I love that. I, I, I... I always jokingly say, I need to get paid to think and help other people think. That simple. That's simple. I'm not stuck in, not stuck. I'm not limited to mm-hmm. education. You know, and that's mm-hmm. what happens all the time. People want you
0: to be about a narrow uh, yeah, niche yeah. of things.
1: Right? But, but when I watch my interaction and people's reaction, it's all about how I think and all that. Mm-hmm. But, but also with powerhouse thinking comes powerhouse listening. You have to listen differently. Yeah. It comes, you know, so it's just, it's uh, my fun. It's stuck. It's mm-hmm. what people call me. Well, I wish you would have brought it up at the very first session because I would have been <laughs> that for 18 months. But I try to play it down. <laughs> I love it. I love it.
0: And um, so, t- so I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, we're, we're existing in a unique moment in time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you are someone I've really respected every time we've talked about mm-hmm. the challenges facing our society mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, t- how do you see our current moment? What, what are the, what's, what's going on and how can we get through it? And how how does does it relate to powerhouse?
1: Well, you know, we we will get through it um, because we're constantly in motion. We're constantly going forward. Now, what it looks like on the way through it and on the other side of it, uh, I used to be very... um, I used to talk about eradicating uh, child abuse Mm -hmm. uh, because... But I also the the older I get and the more I do this work, uh, I find myself um, having in and out of hopelessness, and that's not something I'm used to. Yeah. Uh, but it's just a reality. I think I, I don't stay there long because I realize we just need to make it better. Mm-hmm. It's better for me than it was for my parents, and it was for you know. So we just need to make it better for the next generation. Uh, I have an aunt that I love dearly that has done amazing things, an ordinary woman that has done extraordinary things. And she's the one that I call when I get a little weary. Um, and she said, you have to be led by the spirit and not the burden mm-hmm. because the burden will kill you. And I and I reflect on that. If you try to do more than your part, uh, if you try to, uh, if it becomes, you know, sometimes I have to check ego. Uh, But I think the state that we're in, um, it feels unfortunate, it feels out of control, but it forces me, instead of to figure out what to do, which I kick into a panic, uh, I I don't need to be better, I just need to better be. Mm -hmm. So it makes me want to stop whining. Do the things I don't feel like doing. The things I know I'm supposed to be doing. And for me, it's getting my voice out there. Mm-hmm. For for me, it's speaking no matter the, my truth, no matter what, uh, and continuing to push forward with the work. It's not being deterred by the noise. I think a lot about we. It's real noisy right now. A lot of noise. A lot of noise. A lot of dismantling. a. But if you look at the history of our country, even especially the. I went to the National uh, African American Museum. I didn't make it off the bottom three levels. But you just look, people have survived yeah. worse. A lot. And, and Yeah. So so my job right now is just to do my part. There's a flower in uh, Africa that blooms every 84 to 100 years. Mm-hmm. So if we are, and, but we're used to in condition to want to planet, it, see it mm-hmm. bloom, yeah. enjoy it, while look. You know, and it's helping people. But, you know, what if it's our my job just to water right now. And if I don't water in this year, two years, my or 30, if I don't just do my part to water, mm-hmm. then it's not going to bloom. It wasn't about me, see, you know. So that's how I see uh different and I just have to trust that um that um it it'll all work together and work out. The other piece about this time of, you know, this has been exhausting for me personally and just at a national level to watch the condition of humanity and mankind and what the bad things were capable of. And But it tells me this is just the conditions that you have to learn to do good work. Yeah. You have to keep doing good and keep pushing good. And it's not in the presence of so much darkness, but you just have to keep Doing it, I don't care don't it's impossible for it to remain dark if you show up with a little bit of light,
0: yeah,
1: you know, so you have to re-energize, but I think that's good back full circle back to this fellowship. We are doing very tough, very emotional work. Mm-hmm. I underestimated the need for me to be around my kind, to yeah. be in the room with a land and to be in the room with other people that I resonate it's it's inner it's yeah it, that's a critical piece it really is. to avoid burnout, to to do this work.
0: Camaraderie and fellowship. You know, we can, we throw around the term fellowship a yes. lot. You know, but yes. there's a lot of power yes. in that idea Absolutely. of people coming together with both yeah. common problems and common yes. ideas about how to solve them yes. and the common mindsets. Yes. Can be a very, very powerful and restorative
1: Absolutely. Thing. And it's some things that that's the one thing that we could forget to put in a strategic plan. Yeah. So imagine if we need it. Yeah. Our communities need it. Yeah, you know, um, they probably need it more so.
0: They definitely need it more so. And it takes me back also to your idea about how it's important to build that sort of connection and agency among the parents and families of the Absolutely. schools. Absolutely. Them having those connections. That's why people love parent leadership institutes right. in their best form. Get right. To do that a little right. bit in terms of making yeah. it happen. You know, I have a I have one more one more question before I want to close down. Um, you know. There's been a lot of discussion in this country about race and mm-hmm. gender lately, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes it feels like uh, you know people have a really are struggling with new conceptions of it, but sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like it's actually the old conception just returning for mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. another round. Mm-hmm. I would love to kind of hear your reflections on that as a leader and how you think about that in your leadership um, in this current moment.
1: How I think about being a black female yeah. in the. You know, it's very, very interesting to me. You hear a lot about um, white privilege. You hear a lot about things like that. But I think I enjoy um, privilege for different reasons. Because I have a luxury, either either I'm just naive and I put blinders on, but it's very rare, very rare that I show up in my day-to-day What a heightened awareness like, oh, Lord, I have to go be a black female in this environment or the Mm -hmm. only female in this environment. Now, I have to admit, um, with the more work I do about race and equity more, my day to day, I react and I may scan a room Mm -hmm. and I may say, hmm, that's unfortunate. What happened? Even at airport, Mm -hmm. I may say, where are the black people? Where are the where 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 is it, but um I think I I I have the illusion of uh acceptance more, either I ignore the, the non-accept because of my education and my intellect. Mm-hmm. When you're smart and your thoughts are needed, or you can confidently go in got confidently go into any room and any conversation and not feel threatened, um that's a little different mm-hmm. um now don't get me wrong there are comments maybe made but i i I don't process mm-hmm. i don't I go into things differently uh but but even having said that I realize every day the role that race plays and inequities play yeah. in um the problems that we're facing mm-hmm. I realize that every day. I've just been, especially having a foster child that is currently going through all the tragedies that come along with these conditions that we've allowed to happen. Uh, I see it every day, I feel it every day. It causes stress in my life every day. But as an individual, um, I'm I'm just, I'm pleased with who I am, what I am, what I look like. I'm just extremely pleased. I wouldn't want to be anything else. Um so it's it's a little I think maybe different. Um now um is there you know being a female, you know, are there you know there's a discrepancies in pay. It's, it's all yeah. that stuff. Yeah. Um but it's it's the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. So you just fight it for that next either uh black child or female mm-hmm. that comes along so it's better for her or him or you know, it's it's a gender thing. It's a race thing. Um, but I was just blessed to have a loving family and friends and all those things that uh, help you to navigate um, differences. And, yeah. But it's a burden. It's a burden every day, but not for my personal life. It's a burden every day for just... Um, The fabric that we've created, this American, what America is. I've been doing work at the Bureau of Indian Education. Oh, really? You talk about me being able to take my hat and not worry about my world. Mm -hmm. You watch what has happened in this country from the lens and the exposure to Native Americans. What? Mm -hmm. It's. So, yeah. And
0: we've never come to terms with any of that. The fact country,
1: that we felt history. a need to put an adjective in front of... They are the Americans. Yeah. If anybody needs an adjective or a qualifier... Everyone else does. It's everybody, everybody does. else does. That's right. They don't. You know, but it's just... just Race and in, race equity is a big deal. I don't know how we untold that bell. I don't know how... Yeah. Um, I don't know what can be dismantled versus how we learn how to just... Exist in it and be but thrive in it or be more effective in it.
0: Well, um, I just want to say I appreciate this conversation so much, Natalie. Um, We were chatting last night and I was like, Man, I gotta make my first podcast tomorrow. And I, Natalie, would you do it? And I saw this morning, (laughs) like, Don't forget,
1: you gotta do it today. And I had forgotten. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, So I I have a couple questions I want to end with that are a little bit Uh fun questions. Mm -hmm. Uh, Best vacation you've ever took?
1: Uh my, pick, my trip to Indonesia, where I got to travel the jungles of Borneo to see orangutans in their natural habitat, oh and I was with Dr. Barute Galdikos, the oh leading female scientist um, with these animals, and the reason probably hands down why they still exist on this planet. Oh wow Um, That's a great great answer So that was my When did you do that? I did that maybe about four years ago Oh my gosh Uh, Yeah that was hands down Okay My favorite
0: And uh, Ideal dinner party Uh, People People uh, In your life That you've never met before What would it look like?
1: Somewhere in that mix would be my uh, divine mate. He would be in attendance, so if we're going to get to ideal. Um, (laughs) For me, my ideal dinner party is a great mix. Like, half people I know, half people I love to death, and they're just my dearest friends, and a great house. I love Mm -hmm. great architecture. Uh, Just a great house. Um, And... Probably, yeah, that's, and and great food, but yeah, it's just the people, and um, that would be awesome, and if we throw in a favorite, uh, I went to a party once, Mm -hmm. Um, okay, Jonathan Butler, the jazz artist, Mm -hmm. every year he does a safari, an incredible safari, where he hosts about 15 people to travel and hang out with him. Oh, wow. That, okay, I highly, if this commercial break, if you ever want to experience Cape Town and experience uh, a safari, but yet layer it into uh, someone that's from there and the richness and Mm -hmm. the... And the five-star accommodation That's what you do. But we went to a party, house party, that his birthday. Great dinner party. Great people. People that stretched my thinking. People that you yeah. made the... But then friends with great music. I mean, they were playing live. I mean, so that's it. That's a long yeah. answer to a great dinner Those party. Those are great answers. Yeah. But Natalie, that's... Yeah. Thank you
0: so much for your time today. Yes. And for all you do for kids in Kansas City.
1: Yes. And thank you, Lyndon. You're amazing for what you continue to do. I, I admire your constantly recreating yourself and your podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm inspired. Well, thank you, Natalie. I appreciate it. Yes. Enjoy your trip back home. Thank you.